This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to another episode of Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hallatow, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah, who is not with us at the moment because she's in Wallaroos camp, which is awesome for her, but unfortunately, she's not next to me in the studio. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Dean, and hello to all of our listeners. Yes, I know I sound a little bit uh, probably crook. You, you won't take too long for you guys to figure that out, but just been coping with a bit of a cough, but heck, it feels so good to be in a Wallaroos test camp. Things in the Gold Coast are, are hot, and I don't know how I feel about it. How do, how do you get sick being up at the Gold Coast? Because it's always beautiful in Queensland. It's always sunny. Oh, look, to be honest, I think this place isn't that fabulous, but um, that's because I'm a diehard <laughs> New, <laughs> New South Wales gal. Um, but, I mean, like, because we came into to camp on Saturday, and I think there's, like, just something in the air in Sydney. And everyone came in with a bit of a sniffle and a cough. But um, we did the right thing, did the right thing. When I got a test, I'm negative. So I've just uh, been pumping the cold and flus and the lemsips and uh, nursing myself to full health. How have you been, though? I've been very well, thanks, Sarah. I've had a, uh, a full-on week. Actually, it's like, I had to stop at an accident last weekend. There was an accident on the side of the road, which thankfully no one was, was too seriously hurt. But like, that's like a... You you do first aid training and and you feel like you're prepared for for things just because you do your first aid certificate. But it it kind of was like a really bizarre and rattling experience to be there when something had gone wrong. You didn't know who was taking charge. And um, yeah, it was was bizarre. Police, ambos, fire services, they all rocked up. There was a cast of thousands, but um, a little bit of excitement on a late night return home from Central Coast calling a game, uh, not calling a game, but working last week. Uh, So... Full-on week, but still uh, plenty of fun with work going on and preparing for footy. What have we got coming up in the next hour? Yes, well, we've got a whole heap. We take a look back at the weekend in sport. We have an interview with Frank Pulatour, and we have a new question for our favourite segment, You Can Ask That. This week for our top story, para-athlete Ellie Enoch has been selected for the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Yeah, this is huge for Ellie. Uh, she's from Vanuatu and she has qualified for the seated shot put. So uh, it's it's huge to be qualifying on merit. She'll get to compete there in England from, I think it goes between July 28th and August 8th this year. Uh, we wish her all the best. We'll be keeping track of her progress through that tournament. Hopefully she uh, does well enough to, to maybe grab herself a medal. Yes, good luck to her. No doubt we'll be following her progress. On the same note, Solomon Islands women's beach volleyball team are among 24 teams that have qualified also for the Commonwealth Games. This is super exciting because both the men's and women's teams um, will be competing. Yes, they will be. And it's uh, huge news, as you say, for the Solomon Islands. They're alongside Tuvalu, Ghana, Gambia and South Africa, who will also be competing for the first time at the Games. Um, it's going to be a huge tournament. Yes. So great to see some of our Pacific Islands competing on the world stage. Well, did in the NRL, M, we hit round eight. Any fixtures you want to highlight? Yeah, there's some uh, some big matches over the weekend. The, the first one that I'll, I'll make note of, the South Sydney Rabbitohs up against uh, the Manly Seagulls up in the Central Coast last Friday. Probably the, the biggest talking point of this game was that Manly had a player sent off in the first nine minutes of the match. Uh, South won 40-22, to 22, uh, which was not a bad fight from Manly in the end. Only being down to 12 players, so uh, I thought they did pretty well. But South, far too good with that extra man advantage. This is what 
is being penned as the uh, or penciled in, I should say, as the the US match next year. Uh, maybe it was good enough to to give itself a uh, a preview of what will come next year. Uh, but it was a a pretty good game nonetheless. The Warriors uh, they won twenty one to twenty over the Raiders up in Redcliffe. It was a a very tight match. And Sean Johnson, once again, proving the uh, the difference with a field goal right near the end of the game. And this is how that went. 18 metres out. Egan is there on play four, giving it to Lodge for another settler. Hit and spin and tackled. Now, two to go. Second last play. It's Johnson. Weaves around the on-rushing Horsburgh. Strikes it with his right boot and wins the game for the Warriors. Field goal, Sean Johnson. He loves added time at Redcliffe. He's done it again. The Warriors win 21 points to 20. Yeah, how good Sean Johnson. Oh, he always comes through clutch. I just, I would love to be a goal kicker and just do something really impressive like that. The best thing about that one was he had pressure coming and he stepped off his right foot. So he's done it twice now where he's had to buy himself time from pressure coming from a a defender and uh, he regains his composure and just goes bang, slots it over. So well done the Warriors, especially after being beat by like 60 points a week before against the Storm. Good bounce back. The Bulldogs took on the Roosters uh, at Homebush and the result for this one was a bit of an upset. The Bulldogs won 16 to 12. So it was um, a really tough performance from them. They they competed really well the whole game and to, to get away against strong opposition like the Roosters, the Roosters had a try near the end that was disallowed to jo- uh, Joseph Swaley, and uh, it had to go up to the video referee. In the end, there was a number of things wrong with it, but it was almost a heart-and-mouth moment for the Bulldogs. Verrills comes to the left. Carey away to Warrior Hargreaves. I can imagine Bulldogs fans looking at the radio with their hands over their eyes and just a little gap between the fingers. Comes to the right to Carey. Carey got it away to Walker. Then to Manu. Manu flick pass. Sawali, does he get it down? Or did he go over the touchline? What's the ruling? Kurai! Joseph Sawali in the corner. So no try. The score will remain 16-12 to the Bulldogs with a minute 52 to go. Huge moment, especially for the for the Bulldogs who just teetering at the bottom of the table and want to try and make something of their season. Trent Barrett was on the touchline looking very, very stressed. Uh, but in the end, I think Trent Robinson said in the post-match that the Joseph Sawali no-try had three things wrong with it. It was an obstruction on the inside, there was a forward pass on the end, and Sawali put his foot out. So, what under the Bulldogs? Does that make it their first win of the season? No, it's their second or third. Uh, second win second. of the season. Yeah, so they... Um, Huge. Yeah, they, they very much needed that. It takes them off the bottom of the table, actually. So happy for the Bulldogs. And the last game that I'll mention will be the Dragons. They defeated the Tigers 12 points to six. Uh, it was a, a pretty tight match. It was very um, scrappy. It was messy sort of a game, but it was really intense. And uh, unfortunately for the Tigers, they couldn't keep their run of wins going. They, they fall to the Dragons, who managed to make it their third in a row. Uh, really strong performances across the board. I thought that Moses Suli, the centre, he was uh, outstanding. Carried the ball for like 178 metres, I think it was. And um, really big performance from the centre. Still a young guy and big contributor to that win, as was Francis Molo, their, uh, their front rower. So good win for the Dragons. Anyway, enough about the NRL. What happened in the Super Rugby, Sarah? Yes, in the Super Rugby Pacific, we hit round 10 last week and there were a number of fixtures that had every fan that kind of gobsmacked. The week prior, I think the conversation was Australian teams aren't good enough to compete against the New Zealand sides, but that tell has been flipped on its head. On Friday night, the Reds went up against the Chiefs and narrowly missed out 27-25. Huge loss for the Reds. They lost Tony Olatupo in the first half and he was ruled out for the rest of the game and Jesse 
late this week, they announced that he'll miss out for the remainder of the Super Rugby Pacific season. That is a huge loss, particularly as the Wallabies prepare for their English tests. The force went up against first place Blues and only lost out by four points. This was the first home match for the force to host. And, um, Honestly, no one, no one, not even myself, and I commentated this game, expected the force to put the Blues um, to a real, real tough contest, but they did. Draw headed back to Fiji for their first match on home soil, and they were warmly welcomed by all of their fans. They hosted the Highlanders, but unfortunately fell short 27-24. This fixture has me so excited. The Waratahs, my mighty Waratahs. This is the year of the Tars. They went up against the Crusaders and they won 24 to 21. Um, the Rebels, they backed that up against Moana, beating them 26 to 22. And the Brumbies, just the biggest show-offs in all of the competition this round, thumped the Hurricanes 42 to 25. I'm just, I'm gobsmacked by these fixtures purely because these score lines are something no one could have made up. It looks like such a competitive weekend of rugby. It's great to see that um, the Aussie teams getting some some joy back over the Kiwi teams. And as you say, the Brumbies were almost unstoppable down uh, in the nation's capital. Uh, what a performance from them. Yes, and uh, just a bit of a sneaky plug. Dave Rennie is actually here, who is the Wallabies coach. He's in our camp at the minute. So I might, uh, you know, kind of tap on his shoulder at dinner time and say, so, you know, who are you thinking about your Wallabies uh test squad but I uh, can't can't say that I'll I'll leak any sources but how cool to have him here and um I guess kind of just see what he's had or where he's had it with um Super Rugby Pacific don't, don't ask him questions just tell him your thoughts I think you should you've, been, you've watched enough rugby this year you can just give him your input look I kind of digress here but as we were in the lunchroom he like tapped me and like gave me the eyebrow raise and I was like oh my gosh Uncle Dave knows exactly <laughs> who I am I think but yes I should ask him to come on to can you be more specific nice flex I like that yeah, yeah, anywho. Um, what, what's most exciting is, as we know, our Aussie Sevens girls are currently on the world circuit. They competed in Langford and they defeated New Zealand 21-17, securing them the title. Yeah, well done to the Australian team. And they scored a try, a late try, right on uh, the final hooter. So for them to, to get that victory against um, the New Zealand team was impressive. They've been pretty dominant for the, for the 2022 series, uh, but well done to the Australians. Uh, Fiji managed to finish in sixth after defeating Spain 26 points to seven. So well done to Fiji. But great. I love rugby sevens. It's such an exciting sport and good to see teams performing well. Yes, Australia, like as you mentioned, they've been so dominant throughout this 2022 season. And this is their fourth gold medal in five tournaments. So they are doing incredible things. Talanoa time on Can You Be More Pacific? This week on Talanoa time, we're very lucky to be joined by Frank Bulatua. He is the current uh, Senior Manager of International Strategy and NRL Awards. He's also uh, a former player, played with the Penrith Panthers, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. He was a front rower, represented Samoa at the World Cup in 2000, and he's an all-around good guy. Frankie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Hala. Appreciate it. Firstly, I guess uh, we've got an audience out in the Pacific, so it'd be good to get uh, your background, where you're from, where your family's from, and uh, yeah, just to let the listeners know who you are. Yeah, no worries. Um, I'm uh, of Samoan heritage. Uh, both my parents are, are Samoan. Uh, my father uh, hails from a village uh, called Afenga, which is on one of the main islands in Samoa, in Apolu. Uh And my mother comes from uh, a bit more of a remote part of of, of Upolu, which is uh, from a village called Falilatai. Uh, so there's uh, 
there's a few um there, there has been a bit, uh, I guess a few noted sort of people that have come from uh, the surrounding villages uh, that uh, neighbor my, uh, my my parents villages but um, like David Tour etc but um, I guess since uh, since my my parents um, uh, they they initially left uh, Samoa very early on uh, in their uh, my father in his early teens and my mother in uh, in her late teens Um and they both uh, migrated to New Zealand. Um, obviously, they they didn't know each other at the time, and they met in New Zealand. And then uh, from you know from there, they settled in a in Western Sydney. Uh, sorry, in West West Auckland first, uh, in a place called Calston, uh, where there's a pretty prominent sort of uh, rugby union uh, nursery there in Calston Boys High School. Um, and then uh, they they made the trek over to Australia uh, in the late 90s and uh, made the move out to Western Sydney, where the rest of us uh, obviously. Uh, finished off our schooling years. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit of a quick snapshot of my uh, my background. Frank, you speak so proudly of your Samoan heritage. Did you have any cultural customs or traditions that your family really prioritised in your growing up? Yeah, my father was quite staunch about us um, preserving and maintaining um, strict customs and traditions, uh, even in New Zealand and, and, and also whilst we were growing up here in Australia. Um, he was... He was quite um, he was quite strong uh, in in ensuring that we we understood what Samoan meant, which is Samoan way, um, which is very much underpinned by uh, respect and reverence for those that are elderly and those that are senior. Um, you know, be uh, showing service and uh, and gratitude uh, to your family uh, and all of those things that you know they're quite synonymous with uh, Pacific. Uh, families across uh, across the region. So, um, yeah, my, my my father was very strong in it. Uh, obviously, my, with my mother's support, and uh, although it wasn't the easiest way to grow up, especially in Western culture, it's um, it's one of the things that I try and maintain with my own kids now, trying to ensure that they have a very good underpinning and very good understanding of what Fasamo means. Um, especially given that they you know that they also have uh, uh, separate heritage. Uh, uh, not only uh, they're not full Samoan, so it's even more important for me to impart that knowledge to them. I love that you uh, that it's still such a big part of your life, um, you know, passing on the heritage that, or the, the, the things that you learnt about your own heritage as a youngster and, and growing up and, and passing them on to your kids. A question I have for you is, is how, how did rugby league dovetail into uh, your upbringing, uh, you know, with your family? Um, well, it, it was really sort of Tony's... Uh, it was really sort of Tony's caper up until high school. Um, I hadn't picked up the sport. Um, I picked it up quite late. Um, and it was very much Tony who was um, actively playing, uh, I think, from under eights. Uh, so he played in, in under eights back in New Zealand uh, for the Newland Stags. And then we, when we made the move over to Australia, he, he, played, uh, he started playing for the Samaris Club uh, out west. Um, and I guess we were just, you know, obviously we were very supportive of Tony's um, pathways and how he was developing as a player. I don't think anyone sort of really um, envisaged whether he would, you know, graduate into higher honours and whatnot. But we were obviously supporting his football as he was going through the different uh, age groups. And then um, late in high school, uh, Tony asked me to go and play, um, play for our school side, uh, who were short on numbers. And uh, this is in year 11. Uh, back at uh, Dunhaven, and we, you know, we 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 filled a team and started to, you know, show 
um, I guess, some promise. Um, and from there, we sort of took, took up some uh, an opportunity that, that came up from John Paul II uh, Senior High School, uh, who came out and watched a few of those matches. And uh, and then they um, strategically recruited a few of us from our draw to go out and play for John Paul II. Yes. Um, and we all went out to, 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 to John Paul II, started attending the school and uh, we started playing for that school. And, uh, you know, obviously for those that remember John Paul II, that was uh, quite a strong rugby league nursery for a lot of players. Um, and from there, it just sort of went off. I mean, we, you know, we were, we were very blessed um, to have each other, especially going through reserve grade. Um, admittedly, Tony just sort of hop, skipped and jumped straight to first grade. And I just sort of like bide my time. Um, but I eventually got there as well, um, really through his his support and his sort of, uh, you know, really through his sort of tutelage. He was he was the one that sort of um, helped me a lot because I obviously took up the game quite late. So I needed to sort of fast track my uh, education. But, um, yeah, we were very, very, very lucky. I ended up playing uh, 13 seasons. Tony played, uh, I think, a total of 20 seasons uh between here and england um yeah and it's just been an absolute blessing for all of us for all of our family extended family etc it's been it's been you know really rewarding for us frank you played 13 seasons of rugby league calculating about what 175 first grade games which is no small feat how did you find that transition um after finishing up as an athlete and then moving into i guess normal life post post career yeah well, i mean i guess um, I'm I'm probably the oh, oh, and and probably was back then uh, very much the anomaly when it when it came to the playing groups. I mean, um, you know, Dean would be probably in that in that vintage as well. Uh, the guys that were starting to sort of prepare themselves for post football. Um, um, unfortunately, it probably you know it probably wasn't the norm, um, and it probably wasn't as frequent as um, as most would like it to be um, back then. You know, there was a lot of guys that were just uh, really focus on post football, you know, when it came to their really, you know, their last last year of contract. Uh, whereas I, because I think by virtue of not being a not being a marquee player, I sort of you know allowed for me to sort of focus on on post post career because I wasn't really sure of exactly when my career would finish. Um, so it was quite fortunate that I played for as long as I could uh, or as long as I did. Um, but I was already looking at it. I think. From about four or five years prior to actually finishing up, I was already looking at what I would potentially do. Um, so the transition wasn't as scary and um, wasn't as nerve-wracking for me because I was already, uh, I guess, in, in that mindset, I was pretty much ready to ready to move on to you know to a different career path as soon as I finished. I think that takes a great deal of foresight to kind of anticipate what the, the coming years have in store. And I think for any of our young listeners tuning in, you could definitely take note of that. Although rugby may be your be-all, end-all right now, being able to think, I guess, four or five years ahead is so crucial. Although you finished as an athlete, still today you were so heavily involved in the game. How has your relationship with footy changed since retirement? Uh, it's. I think it's. it's only strengthened my appreciation for... Uh, the business of sport uh, and what sport means to a lot of people, um, uh, how much uh, and how far-reaching rugby league um, is and how it can potentially impact people's lives for the positive. I think that's probably the thing that I, you know, I, I appreciate, um, especially being on this side of the fence now, um, understanding how how we can change people's lives and the impact that players have in, you know, uh, in, in simple acts like uh, Nathan Cleary's on the weekend and just, you know, being able to 
jump the uh, the barriers and go up and, and take a photo with a you know with a, a young man who was disabled. I mean that that will obviously stay with that young man for a lifetime. So you know just I mean I guess we appreciated when we were playing that you you have a you know you do have a a certain um, you do have a certain impact on people's lives when you when you engage with them. But I I, I think I, I have a greater appreciation for that now seeing on the other side of the fence and being a bit more of an observer to the way that um, the way that the players, you know, influence um, or have a positive influence on, on things such as junior football, um, you know, and other matters that, that are really important to, to people that watch the game and play the game. We're chatting with Frank Pulitua, former NRL player and current NRL administrator. Frank, uh, one thing I do know about you is that uh, you do have a lot of time for, for others and uh, there's a, a charity that you have aligned yourself with, Kids Express. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that charity and, and what you, you hope to achieve through that? Yeah, um, Kids Express is just an amazing uh, foundation um, who, through um, an actual customised type of therapy uh, which is which which they call um, creative therapy um, they're able to I guess impact uh, positively impact um, young people that have been uh, that have been affected by trauma um, severe trauma neglect and uh, and physical abuse so I was fortunate enough to be introduced to the CEO Margot Ward uh, a few years back um, and she was very interested in in establishing a branch out at um, out of Western Sydney uh, namely in Mount Druitt um, and obviously that caught my attention because I'm, I grew up in Mount Druitt and was quite keen to understand exactly what she wanted to do there. And uh, when she explained what the program was about, I was sort of really taken back. Um, I've got a bit of an art background as well. So I was, um, you know, I was also interested in how I could potentially help out uh, in that regard. Uh, but essentially the fundraiser came about from a conversation that I had with Margot. We were chatting about how we could potentially fundraise. And she mentioned that uh, Kids Express, in partnership with GSA Insurance, um, hosted a, an annual cricket day, um, which I think they, they raised a few thousand dollars from uh, each year. And uh, off the back of that conversation, I said I suggested maybe it's worthwhile to look at a touch football fundraiser, given that you can invite more teams, i.e. businesses, um, and potentially have um, you know more businesses and um, uh, obviously contribute. Uh, to the actual foundation and donate to the foundation. So after the first year, you know, there was a, a significant uplift in terms of donations, which are, I think uh, off the back of that first, um, the first year we hosted the event, raised in excess of 150000 um, And it's been averaging that pretty much every year now, around around the 180000 to 190000 uh, mark, which is really, really uh, pleasing for me. Um, given that I've seen the work firsthand, uh, then myself and a few other, few of the other boys that I've invited into the program, that you know they've seen firsthand the great work that the Kids Express people do, and just knowing that we're able to support and help that organisation in, in that little way, you know, it's only one year, it's only one event a year, um, but you know, I, I do know that it goes a long way. So you know, it's a big shout out to all of those companies that uh, that join us on that day because there's. Uh, there's a lot of fun that's had, but it's uh, it's for a very very important cause. Yeah, that's fantastic. The amount of money that you've you've mentioned that you can raise. So, well done. Uh, I guess my last question is just around the Pacific Test coming up. Uh, there's an announcement made by the ARLC last week that there's uh, going to be a weekend of of Test football, including um, some some Pacific Tests. So, can you give the listeners a bit of a chance to get excited about what's coming up? Yep. Uh, so you know, it's great to see the Pacific. 
uh, tests back on the calendar. Um, you know, it has been off the calendar for uh, for a number of years now um, due to the COVID pandemic, but it's great to see international footy back on the agenda. So this year, uh, we've got the double header taking place over at Campbelltown, um, at Campbelltown Stadium um, on June the 25th. Samoa v Cook Islands in the curtain raiser match. Uh, so Samoa hasn't played the Cook Islands in this particular format, but um, so that'll be the first time that Samoans play the Cook Islanders. So that'll be a that'll be a really good contest. I'm looking forward to that one. And then we've got in the main fixture Fiji playing against uh, Papua New Guinea. So you know the two old rivals. Uh, they've had some really good contests over the last six or seven years, and I'm pretty sure that uh, this is going to be a fiery one as well. Um, Fiji uh, will will obviously have um, a lot of uh, profile NRL players in their in their uh, in their squad, um, but there's a, there's obviously a lot more uh, PNG players now that are putting their hands up to to be available for the Kumuls as well as so that. That's the double header that's taking place. There's also uh, the New Zealand Kiwis playing Tonga, the national Tongan side over in New Zealand, in Auckland, um, on the same weekend. So uh, between those six nations, it's a it's a really good um, it's a really good format for preparation for the for the Rugby League World Cup, uh, which is obviously taking place at the end of this year in England. So uh, you know, it gives us a good idea of uh, some of the players and. And where they're going to put their hands up, and where they're going to pledge their uh, allegiance. There's a lot of players that are eligible for multiple nations, so um, it's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting process over the next uh, few weeks to see uh, who turns out for what side. Frank, it's been so heartwarming to talk about your journey, I guess, from the time that you're a player to what you're doing today, including your inclusion with um, Kids Express. Sounds like you're a busy man. And yeah, between Dean and I, we're just really grateful to have you on the show today. Before we let you go, we have a uh, little segment that we call Tip On. It's just 60 seconds of rapid fire questions. Would you be down to play before you let us go? Uh, yeah, I'm not um, unaccustomed to getting short balls and tip-ons, so I'm more than happy to come on that bad, that bad joke. Um, dad joke. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, I work a lot with Carlos, so the dad jokes, uh, he has a lot of them. <laughs> All right, the clock is on. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Uh, the Last Dance. Who was your most annoying teammate? Um, <laughs> Reese Wesser. Who is your sporting hero? Uh, Gordon Tellis. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Ooh, um, so Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite movie as a kid? Uh, Sound of Music. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Bananas. Favorite place you've travelled to? Samoa. Do you have a hidden talent? I can sketch a bit. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Uh, you're Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, ten being the best, how good are you at keeping secrets? Ten. Ten. <laughs> They Can't are some keep of the, a secret. Some of the most random answers that we've ever had on this segment. <laughs> Sound of music. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yulbrenner. Movie of your life, Yulbrenner. See, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, how protected we were in, and, and sheltered we were. We, we were only allowed to watch Sound of Music after we were young kids. Uh, oh, you my know. goodness. Can, can that confirm. was a grown man, though. What's your favourite movie? 
My favorite movie. Uh, interestingly, my favorite movie is Friday. Ah, oh, Friday. Friday. Yeah, good laugh. It's Friday. Friday. Laugh. Yeah. I got it's, no it's, job. <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah, great yeah, movie. Yeah. It's not. You know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It's very easy to kick back there, and I, you know, I can't stop laughing every time I watch it. So. It is, it is a good pick. Well, Frankie, thank you very much for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific? We really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to watching those Pacific tests upcoming. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. That was former Penrith Panther, South Sydney Rabbitoh, Samoan representative and current NRL administrator, Frank Pulitua. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete. On Can You Be More Pacific? Back with another week of our favourite segment, You Can Ask That. For any of our new listeners, this is basically an opportunity for you to ask either a former or current athlete absolutely anything. This week, we have a question from Rhonda in Arncliff. And Hala, I think you might be suited for this one, but it says, how did you decide to retire and how important was it for you to prepare for that moment? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question because this is something that all athletes that um, compete at an elite level have to go through at some point. Um, not just that, there's, there's some people that dedicate a lot of their lives to, to performing in a sport and they may not get to the most elite level, but there comes a time when they, they probably decide that they don't want to play anymore. And it's, um, it's a pretty uh, challenging time, I would say, because for myself, I've done it for 14 years as a professional and to start to think about when it was going to end was was a bit scary uh i'd turn up to training every day uh knowing that everything that i needed to do was laid out for me in terms of sessions and um i had to wear my football gear every day that was given to me by the club so i knew what i had to wear knew my schedule for the week knew what the sessions were going to be and i didn't really have to put much thought into that anything over and above obviously i had to do my extras and whatnot but sort of coming to the realisation that I wouldn't have have that in front of me or have that laid out for me every week. I was like, okay, time to grow up, get a job and, and understand what the real world's like because it is a bit of a bubble when you're in a in an elite sport and, and that's what that's all that you do because that's that's what I did luckily enough for a period. Um, but the decision to, to retire became because I was so – I felt like I was so far behind uh, when I was training, when I was doing um, fitness testing. Uh, not that I was unfit. I could, I could still do it all but – it was just such a grind for me to get through it. Even if I was still getting reasonable times, the effort was was quite difficult. So I just felt that if I had a hang in there any longer, I would have just been doing that hanging in there and, and it wouldn't have been you know good performances and I probably would have uh, resented what I was doing. So that was probably the triggering moment to, to decide to retire. Yeah, right. And did you feel like you, you knew or you... Did you feel like you had support um, to support that, I guess, that re- that retirement transition? Because I guess one day you'll be rocking up to training and the next day you're not obligated to anymore. Yeah, no, I was lucky enough that I, I had good relationships with our wellbeing and education manager when I was at the Tigers at the time and uh, also had a lot of friends that had retired in the years previous to that. So they had conversations with me, subtle conversations about what to expect. Uh, and also we're always there when I, when I needed to ask questions. My, my family as well were really supportive and encouraging of whatever it was I was going to do next. So um, in that regard, I was, I was, really, I was really lucky. Um, and I'd work closely with um, some people in the game that prepare for transition. We call it transition now. It's not retirement because thinking about retirement as a 30-something-year-old is, is not realistic. Like you've still got a long time of your life to work and, and to – and to do other things. So yeah, the transition was well supported around me and uh, I was very grateful and lucky for that. 
I guess for my, my question to you, Sarah, is are you preparing for when that day might come for yourself and how important it is, is it for you to, to prepare for life after sport? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have been thinking about it and um, it's no secret to anyone that I've been trying to, um, I guess, increase my, my media presence through commentary and hosting, et cetera. But um, all of those things, all of my media stuff, I know is is kind of an option for me because I have this life as an athlete as well. And it gives me a point of difference that I'm not just anyone, but I'm an athlete and I have these aspirations to, to grow in the media world. So the reason I say that is I am certainly using this time while I'm still a current athlete to build my media career. Um, and it's something that's so firmly on my mind and particularly also being a semi-professional athlete, it's not like I only have an option to just focus on being an elite athlete and not have the capacity to take anything else on. The, the bittersweet reality of my life right now is I can be an elite athlete and also hold down a career. And all of these things that I'm doing, particularly while I'm still playing, you know, in the likes of commentary and doing sideline stuff, etc., is because by the time I finish the game, I know that I've already put myself in a position to show anyone out there who, who may be looking at me or considering me to be an employee that I can do it. If I can do it while I'm juggling elite sport, I can absolutely do it without it. So, um, yeah, everything that I'm doing right now is looking at the bigger picture of I know that I'm not going to be playing, you know, representative football for, uh, God, I don't know if I even have 10 years left in me. Um, I, it's probably a lot shorter than that. So I think the wisest thing for me to do now is, you know, take any opportunity I have to to build my career network as much as I can. Anytime that I'm invited to a sponsor lunch or to go to a sports clinic, like I'm taking business cards, I'm connecting with them on LinkedIn because, again, my time as an athlete is, it has an, an expiry date. I just don't know when that is, but I just want to make sure that while I'm in this position, I am um, setting myself up for for a solid future and um thankfully thankfully rugby has allowed me to do that so far that's really good advice sarah i I encourage any of our listeners out there that are trying to go down the path of elite sport to to do what sarah's doing and to to make sure that you're you're putting time into what's happening away from from the field from the court whatever whatever it is you're choosing to do yes so on that note if you have any questions please feel free to contact us on instagram my handle is at sarah nangama or you can find dean at Dean Hallitow. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh my God. You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Don't go anywhere. We've still got our favourite socials and we tackle the top headlines in the rock. Pacific, keeping it social. Sarah, time for socials, my favourite, because I spent so much time on the socials, as we know. So much time, yeah. so much time, Ella. <laughs> Done to death. Anyway, what's your pick for the week, Says? My pick from the week comes from RugbyComAU Instagram. And as we know, Fiji and Drua went back to Fiji to host their first match for their fans. They took the Highlanders there and this epic epic footage, took to the internet showing the crowd going absolutely bonkers, doing a Mexican wave and you'll hear it for yourself, just the excitement but also the amount of people that packed out Suva. And Benaya, head must see! Brilliant! Oh, 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 oh
It's just a high octane, high speed. They've waited a long time. They've waited until week 11 in Super Rugby Pacific. And not just that, but 20. How cool. How epic is that? It's such a buzz, right? Like, it's so good that they get the opportunity to do that in front of a home crowd. And like you said, the, the atmosphere looks amazing and sounds amazing. And uh, we, may, may, we may need to do some field work and head over there for a, for a game. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, so Tim or Nick, if you're listening, of course please you're send listening, Huller yeah. and I to Fiji. <laughs> and Renell as well, because we need someone to produce yes, that show. Yes, of course. What about you, Hala? What did you find? Well, I've gone to another player from the Panthers doing wonderful things in the crowd, and that's Nathan Cleary, who I know you're a massive fan of. After their game, love the guy. After their game on uh, on the Gold Coast last week, following the game, he he jumps the fence and he makes his way up uh, to a young man in a, in a wheelchair to get a photo with him, and uh, it was really nice from Nathan to do that. The crowd loved it, and I'm not too sure if the guy was a Titans or a Panthers fan, but I'm assuming he's going to be a Panthers fan from now on. You know what I love about this is that there's no need for Nathan to, to jump the fence. Like he, he can, a lot of players will go to the fence after a game and wave and get photos with the people that are, that are just lined up against the fence. But the fact that he took the time to, to get over there and to climb a few, a few seats. Yeah, that's a really special piece of footage. And Nathan Cleary, honestly, I didn't need another reason to love him, but really just took us to show how much of a great man he is and um, a memory that kid will hold on to forever. No doubt, no doubt. In the ruck, tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? This week in the ruck, talking about football, which, um, Hala, I'm not too sure about you, but I can't really speak confidently about this game. But from what I gather, from what I gather, Fiji is set to host the Oceania Football Confederation Women's Nations Cup this year that will take place uh, in July from the 13th to the 30th. And this is really huge because there are a number of countries that will be heading to Fiji to compete and solidify their place in a World Cup qualifier. Yeah, it's um, really good that this tournament's going ahead. And as you say, they're they're looking to qualify for the World Cup, uh, which They'll be joining New Zealand uh, as a host nation. New Zealand automatically qualifies. So those nations that will be competing are the Cook Islands, Fiji, obviously the host, New Caledonia, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, the Solomon Islands, Tahiti, Tonga and Vanuatu. So look forward to seeing how they go in that tournament and who joins New Zealand in the World Cup. As you say, we're not uh, football specialists, the round ball specialists, but um, it's, it's great to know that there's going to be one of the biggest sporting events in the world is going to be taking place next year and include some Pacific uh, representation. Yes. One country that does miss out is American Samoa. Due to COVID challenges, they unfortunately cannot be part of the tournament, which will be no doubt super devastating for them. But we will definitely keep our eye out on that competition and see how those countries eventuate. We will. We will. Now, a sport that you're more familiar with, the overable sport of rugby, uh, you've found something that is, uh, that is pretty cool around Fijian Drua. Yes, Hala, as I'd mentioned earlier, Fiji and Jura were warmly welcomed back to Fiji by their fans. And uh, it was such a warm reception. Something that was really cool was Shane Hussein, who is part of Fiji and Jura's media team, posted a series of tweets kind of showcasing different parts of the day. One thing that took our attention was an image of players um, holding up cloths and not really necessarily cloths, I should say. They're, they're like materials and they've been tied, like one, one set of materials has been tied to another and there's just like so much material. 
world. So for anyone that isn't familiar, this was a cultural um, tradition that Fijians used to welcome sailors home with. And it was, um, I guess, such a a beautiful beautiful display of our culture um, and something that meant so much to the players because you could imagine that players being away from home for so long, being so homesick, and then being welcomed back with this cultural tradition of a vere um, would have really, really struck a chord for them. Yeah, kind of, I guess, hopefully it makes them makes it feel all worthwhile to know that they're making such a, an impact back home and, and getting that warm reception from, from family and just from, from um, people in country. Yes, really cool. Now, Black Ferns News, they've named a squad um, for some upcoming matches and that includes Ruby Tui. Yes, the Black Ferns have announced their squad for this year. This this is a real pivotal um, team listing because essentially this is all in preparation for World Cup, which will take place in October. Ruby Tui, who we love and rave about, is one of seven debutantes who's been named in the fold. Pretty insane to think that regardless of how successful her sevens career is, she hasn't played the 15s game um, in the national jersey. So this is something that I know she'll definitely be cherishing and um, can't wait to see how her journey unfolds in uh, another Blackburn jersey. Does that give you a bit of a preview as to like the strategy or the way they're going to play the game, the Blackferns? Yeah, and I guess there's always been this really mixed conversation and definitely happens here in Australia. If you have sevens players, will you take them across to your 15 squad to give them that extra bit of pace and, you know, a bit of point of difference? Um, I, I, I can definitely see what they're doing. And um, I think in Australia, we may look to adapt something similar, but only time will tell. But let's just make this about Ruby Tui and uh, say congratulations because I'm sure she has she's thoroughly deserved this opportunity. Well done, Ruby. We'll be watching closely. Now over to the NRL and there was an announcement last week from the Australian Rugby League Commission that the representative round uh, will be taking place again this year. It's been shelved because of COVID and and other issues, Um, but this year it's it's back again and we'll see some pretty impressive fixtures across a a weekend of of rep footy, starting with the Women's Origin uh, from Canberra Stadium on Friday night. Can't wait to watch that one. There's been some pretty tight contests over the last few years, looking to see New South Wales get back in the winner's circle. On Saturday at Campbelltown Stadium, we'll see uh, Samoa take on the Cook Islands for the first time in this type of fixture, which is going to be really exciting. And then also some old rivals, Papua New Guinea, up against Fiji uh, to, to headline that night of football. So it's going to be a really exciting um, weekend of, of... I should mention that the men's origin is also on the Sunday in Perth. So lots of rep football on that weekend. There's going to be so much happening. And this is all happening in June, Correct. Uh, this is all June, June 24th, 5th, 6th. Um, oh, I forgot to mention too, there's a test match in New Zealand, uh, New Zealand versus Tonga, which is going to be huge. That's in Auckland. I'm not too sure of the venue yet, but um, we know one thing, that the Tongan um, supporters will turn out in force. It's going to be a sea of red. So any New Zealand Kiwis supporters are going to have to do their best to overcome um, some, uh, some pretty vocal fans. Wow, that's going to be such a good weekend. In... Other news, Ash Taylor has announced his retirement and he's only 27 years old. Yeah, this is really unfortunate for Ash Taylor, who is a really quality player. He's been earmarked since he was young to be um, you know, a superstar half in the game. He's played for Brisbane. He's played for the Titans. He's now at the Warriors. Unfortunately, he's had a number of injuries that have sort of um, halted his progress, I guess you'd say. He's, um, you know, 
three shoulder reconstructions. He's had a couple of compound fractured fingers, hand, arm, wrist, ankle. But the the main thing that's that's kept him out is uh, he's had some hip trouble and he just can't overcome it at the moment. He's still young, so I, I don't know if there is going to be a way back for him. But for the time being, he's he's announced his retirement, and uh, it's yeah, really unfortunate for Ash. Super sad to see him um, retire the game so young, but for reasons that are reasonably justified. So all the best for whatever comes for Ash outside of his rugby career. Yes, certainly. Now, other rugby league news to finish off with. Karen Murphy, who I'm a massive fan of. She's a pioneer in the women's game of rugby league. She represented the Gillaroos. She's been an administrator for, I'm going to say, like 15 plus years, 20 years. She's... um, Rugby league through and through. She's a Queenslander. I won't hold that against her. Um, but she's rugby league through and through. She's been uh, made the coach of the Titans NRLW side. So not only will Karen be coaching the NRLW side, she'll also take on an executive leadership side for the whole uh, NRLW and women's program. So that's going to be pathways, junior reps, uh, all things women's rugby league, which I think is a great move from the club. She, she is, as I say, um, one of the number one female rugby league people that I know and uh, she's also a top 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 person so I wish Karen all the best I'm sorry to be seeing her leave the NRL but great that she's still be in the game yeah no doubt and for her to also be the only female head coach in the NRLW competition is no small feat and I just hope to see more women take up space in roles like this so congratulations to her and uh, be good to see what the girls do for their second push of the NRLW this year on ABC Radio Australia. Well, Hal, that's all we have time for. It is, but if you missed the show or you just want to listen to the magic again, it'll be replayed on Friday, 2pm PNG time, or you can find all our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcast. Talk here. More there. Can You Be More Pacific? An ABC sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.